Hey friends and welcome to the happy hour. My name is Jamie Ivy and I am your host. And each week I invite a girlfriend to join me on the show and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life and everything in between. Today's show is a little different than a normal show. With Mother's Day coming, I wanted to do a show honoring moms, but not just the typical mom that we see in greeting cards and on commercials. When thinking through all the different kinds of mamas out there, I came up with no less than 20 different types of moms that I wanted to chat with. Single moms, divorced and remarried moms, stepmoms, moms through adoption, foster moms, first moms. Literally, the list went on and on and on. And finally, Knox, who's the mastermind behind making this show sound so good, firmly told me to pick four and go with it. So I did. I picked four moms to talk to today about what what motherhood is like for them. We talk about the challenges that they incur, the misconceptions that they're trying to dissolve, what's different about this part of mothering than they imagined, plus much more. Please hear me on this. All of you moms out there, whether you are represented today or not, you are doing such an amazing and important job, and you should feel such pride on your special day this coming weekend. Before we get going talking to these four fabulous moms, I want to make sure that you all subscribe to the podcast. If you aren't yet, or if you aren't sure, just go to jamieivy.com slash iTunes and click subscribe. Doing that ensures that you don't miss any new episodes. So if you could take a minute to do that, I'd be super grateful. And you're going to appreciate it as well, because every Wednesday and every other Friday, a new show is just going to pop up when you listen to podcasts. The first mama I talked to today is my friend, Wynn Elder. Wynn's been on the show before. She was actually episode number four. So you can go back and check out our first conversation, one of the very first conversations on the happy hour. Wynn and her husband live in Bryan, Texas, and they have two children. Today, we have a very open conversation about her struggle with infertility over the past seven years. The journey that she's been on has been a hard one, but she's looking for ways to have joy in the midst of it. She shares the hard stuff about her journey, plus ways that you and I can love those around us that are also struggling with infertility. Hey, Wynn, thanks for coming on the happy hour with me. Hey, Jamie, thanks for having me back. Um, Happy Mother's Day, almost. You too. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you were, do you know what number you were on the happy hour? Five. Four. Number four. 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 Yeah, so you were on a long time ago when I just started, (laughs) Um, and we had such a fun time chatting, and so thanks for coming back again. Wynn is a mom and a wife, and you have two kids, and you sell Noonday, and you have done photography, am I right? Yeah. And what else do you do? All the things. All the things. Um, my favorite thing right now is I have a space in our cute little down historic downtown called the Haven and it's sort of like a fun little gathering place where we have events and people creative people work down there and it's awesome. It sounds That's amazing. Like I want to be at the Haven right now is what it sounds like. Yeah. Um, so I, yes, I am. So I asked you to come on today because I I think that I mentioned to the you this to you a couple of months ago about wanting to actually have a conversation about this around Mother's Day. Um, because I know that Mother's Day is, it's, it's a great holiday. Like we get to celebrate our moms. We get to like thank our moms. Um, to me, it's kind of like Valentine's Day. Like it's not just a day reserved aside for me to value my mom or my kids value me. Um, but I know that this day can also be really hard for some people. Um, and so yeah. it really got me my wheels thinking. And that's why I wanted to do this little interview with a couple different moms just because to talk about the difference that motherhood looks like. So you're a mom to two kids right now. Yeah. Um, yes. But you have, you've had a struggle and a hard time getting to be a mom. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's been um, about a seven-year journey when God put on our hearts for the first time that we were ready to start a family. And you, you know, you're ready and you think it's just going to happen mm-hmm. the old-fashioned way. And that's what happens, right? Like you... You're like, all right, I'm ready. And it's supposed to just happen. Mm-hmm. But um, <laughs> seven years later, we are still praying and waiting for a miracle biological baby. But we have two, our two kiddos that we adopted from Ethiopia um, three and a half years ago. So they are my real children. Mm-hmm. I am their real mom and I am a mom. But like I've heard so many people say before, adoption doesn't cure infertility. It's mm-hmm. um, their I mean, they're my children and I'm their mom and I love them, but I still have this deep desire in my heart to experience pregnancy and what it's like to carry a baby and give birth and 
you know, all the things that moms to little newborn babies do that I um, haven't gotten a chance to do. I love that you said adoption doesn't cure that desire in your heart um, because it did it did take the desire like you are a mom. You know, that desire has been right. fulfilled, but there's yeah. still more, you know. And so I like that you said that because I think some people can think, well, you know, you're, you're good now, right? Everything's okay. Um, and you actually do a lot of like ministry towards moms that are going or towards women um, who are going through this, this exact same thing. How, why did you start that? How did that start? What does that look like for you? Yeah. Um, I just felt like God very clearly a few years for the first few year and a half, two years, maybe that we struggle with this. I spoke of it to hardly anybody. Um, and then one day I just sort of felt like God say, I want you to share your journey while you're still in the middle of it. Not mm. when you're on the other side mm-hmm. um, necessarily, but while you're in the middle in the thick of it. And so um, a few gals and I started uh, almost two years ago, a ministry called the Carry Camp. And it was just sort of born out of this <clears throat> need that we saw for so many women that are struggling with infertility, do it alone. And it can be such a shameful thing for many, just something that they think, well, nobody that I know has struggled with this. So I'm not going to talk about it. But the the stats are one in eight couples will struggle to mm-hmm. get pregnant. Mm-hmm. And so there are so many people in this world who struggle with this, just maybe alone. So we started this ministry to really just bring together these women for them to have a safe place to belong and to be known and mm-hmm. to share in those struggles. And it's called the carry camp. Um, just, just sort of the picture of carrying each other's burdens. Yeah. And so, so we do. Yeah. Well, go. Yeah. Tell us what you do. And then I have another question. Yes. Yeah, so we have a retreat every year this September 9th through 11th. We're having our second annual retreat outside of Nashville where we'll gather an intimate between 20 and 30 women um, for the weekend to just be together and pray and laugh and have fun and cry and listen to teachings and share stories and have fun outdoors. We did it last year and all the girls that were there, we have a private little support Facebook group that, I mean, we're all on there almost every week just praying for each other and sharing the latest, whether it's fertility treatments or adoption mm-hmm. placements or whatever, it's just, it's been really, really cool to be that support for each other. So I have a question for you. I know that I, yeah. I'm assuming that I'm going to just make an assumption here. If I'm wrong, you can tell me I'm wrong. I'm assuming that Mother's Day probably has been harder in years past than it might be now. Am I, is that a little bit true? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So go um, back to before you um, became a mom and how was Mother's Day? Was it like, Was it something that you like dreaded? Was it something that was hard to get through the day? Or was it something that you really had strength to get through and knowing the season that we're in? How, how, what does that look like for you or for someone who is actually struggling with infertility as well? What is, how is Mother's Day hard besides the obvious? Well, if I'm honest, if I'm honest, I'm not like super excited about it this year either. I mean, Mm. not the day, but especially even thinking about which is sad, going to church Mm. on Mother's Day Sunday, because I know we're doing baby dedication and they'll be doing all these special things for moms. And even though I am a mom, there's still this pain that day of, I have not birthed a child. There's still so much to this motherhood journey that I don't know. And I think that when I became a mom via adoption, I'm sort of getting off a little bit, but I thought like, okay, I'll be like in the real mom's club. But there was still this sense for a long time and I'm over it now, but there was a sense for a long time that I wasn't a real mom because I hadn't experienced a lot of the things that mm-hmm. moms that have babies, the traditional old fashioned way do. And so I think Mother's Day is just hard because it you feel so isolated. You can feel so mm-hmm. isolated and lonely. What are some things that either you did personally to help you in that time or that people around you did that actually were a help? I think even that day, just getting texts from friends that say, hey, I'm thinking about you today. Like, Mm -hmm. you don't even have to say much. I think the hardest thing, I think it's hard because people who haven't struggled with it don't know what to say. And I've had so many friends say, like, I don't want to say the wrong thing. And Mm -hmm. so I think a lot of times, because people don't want to say the wrong thing, they just don't say anything. And that is worse, (laughs) I think, than saying the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. And so I think as simple as and I even do this every year on Mother's Day. I reach out to friends of mine who are still in this. I mean, I am too, still in the struggle of infertility just to say, it doesn't have to be some big thing. Just, hey, I'm thinking about you today. I love you. Mm. I remember just, and I think I might have said this on the show before, but just um, in a different kind of pain of when I was waiting for my kids to come home. Like it was really hard yeah. for me to sit through baby dedications because yeah. I was just mad yeah. that they had their babies and mine weren't here. 
Um, yeah. And so I get that, you know, I get that pain that that might be going through. What do you think is some kind of misconception that people who have never walked through um, infertility might have about a woman or a couple who's struggling with that? What's a misconception that we might have that you'd kind of like to debunk? Well, I think something that I think about a lot, and this actually just happened to me last night, so it's very fresh in my mind, but it's so hard when people don't want to tell you that they're pregnant Mm. and they feel bad or you're the last one to know because they they just didn't want to tell you because they didn't want you to be sad. Um, And that breaks my heart because it, it is hard. Like it's, I can understand. I can have compassion for you being like, she's a crazy lady. I don't want to say the wrong thing. And mm-hmm. so I'm just not going to say anything, but it's almost like it makes it worse because of course I'm overjoyed for you. Of course I'm excited. Now I might be sad for myself and that's my own thing. And I'm going to, I'm going to deal with that in my own way. Mm-hmm. But I think it's really, I think that's hard. And I think, but I also think as a woman who's struggling, you have to be willing to share with your people how they can love you and support you and best deal with you almost yeah. in this season. And so, I mean, I've had friends now um, that they'll, before they announce to a big group that, they'll pregnant, that they're pregnant, they'll call me or come over to my house and tell me first. Mm. And that means so much, not that I need to be the first to know, but that, nope, because ultimately if someone announces they're pregnant, everyone's looking at the one who can't just to Mm. see what their reaction is. And that's so hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think when I realized when I was aunt Wynn for so long that yes, maybe I'm angry that you're pregnant and I'm not, and I don't understand. And I'm, you know, can't be fully, fully. Oh, so excited for you. But that little fetus in your belly will turn into a toddler. That's going to run around one day that I'm going to fall, that I'm going to be in love with. And so how can I not, celebrate that life. Yeah. How have you personally walked through this? Um, not just like how your friends encourage you, but what are some things that have gotten you, um, through the past seven years that you can, I mean, I've heard you say several times, like, I'm not, I don't feel this way anymore, or I've gotten over that, or I'm working through that. What are some things that you can say, here's what used to really like get to me. And here's things that used to really bother me. But because of this, I now I'm on this side of the, on on the road on that. Well, I mean, I think it has gotten easier over the years for sure, but it's still, it hasn't gone away. I mean, there still are months that are super hard, but I think, um, besides the obvious, just the growth that I've, that I've shown or that God has put in my heart and Mm -hmm. the intimacy that I have with him that I wouldn't have had any other way, um, that makes me thankful for this Mm -hmm. journey and see it. And now every day I'm not like, thank you God for infertility, Mm -hmm. but, But uh, most of the days I really can and I can look and I can see and I can be grateful for this hardship that has been such a blessing. But a lot of it has just been the community that I've surrounded myself with. And I mean, the the girls I started the carry camp with have been a huge part of that just to have people who when you when you send out a text like I'm so mad, I started my period today, they're not going to be like, oh, but God's plan Mm -hmm. is so wonderful. They're going to be like, man, that sucks. I'm so sorry. You pour yourself a glass of wine and, you know, whatever, just to be real. And you need that. You need people that we know the truth. Mm -hmm. And there are times definitely when we need to hear the truth. But there are times when we just need someone to commiserate with us and say, man, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I always tell my girlfriends, like when I, when I'm suffering through something, I'm like, I need three days and then I want the truth just thrown at me. But at first I just want a little softness. I just want a little like understanding and then you can bring it. Um, I really, really like, uh, I really like what you just said uh, just a few minutes ago is that you said that the pain hasn't go away, hasn't gone away, but you can look at the pain and you can be thankful for it because of what it's done between you and God. And I think that that is any kind of like hardship that we may have. I mean, this show's all about motherhood but anything that we've been through anything that I've been through I can think the pain is still there but what it's done for me has made me need him more it's made me love him more it's made me draw closer to him and so I think that's when we can look at suffering and thank him for it so I loved when you just said that Um, what is your encouragement to women who are listening that they haven't told anybody and they're walking through this with just them and their husband and they feel so alone what's your encouragement to them Oh man, that's so hard. Well, come visit us on the carry camp. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and it really is. I mean, even if you just find the strength to open up to one person, I mean, it's just so, so hard to walk that alone and have nobody. I feel like there's such freedom when we bring things from the darkness into the light, and infertility is nothing to be ashamed of. It's mm. not your fault, it is just a part of your story. And, you know, maybe for a long time you won't see that as a blessing, mm. but hopefully 
one day you will and your hope will be sustained and God will just show up and be so, so near. Um, but really just finding that community, even if it's just one or two people to walk with you that you can be honest with, that you could say, Hey, this is how you could best love me. Mm. It hurts when you say this, this is how I feel every month when I start my period. Um, that really will make so much difference just to not be alone. Mm. And what about for us that are on the flip side? Uh, people are listening that haven't necessarily, this has not been a part of their story. Um, what's your advice to them when a girlfriend comes to them and shares this with them? Right. I mean, I think it's just, just being how you would be a friend if there was something else, like just listening to them, mm-hmm. seeing them, understanding them, not trying to fix them, not trying to say, well, have you done this or have you done this mm-hmm. or you should just do this, but just really being there and yeah. listening and wanting to understand and just being present. Yeah. I love that. I love just the way that you're encouraging women to do that. I'm going to put some links up for the carry camp. So I'll be sure yes. everyone can know about that as well because I'm just I'm a big fan of people getting together and loving on each other and pointing people to the truth, um, especially people that understand what you're going through. So that is great. Okay, yeah. last question. Um, you and I are both yeah. um, moms through adoption, and so a lot of times you already cleared the cleared it up that these are your real kids. Um, a lot mm-hmm. of times <laughs> we are asked those questions, and I always say. Well, yeah. I mean, what am I fake? Of course, I'm their real mom. Yes, um, and I we've are we've been like role playing with our kids, like having them because they get these questions at school a lot, and they sometimes oh, yeah. don't know the language for it. So, anyhow, what are some little like maybe things that people might say, not trying to be mean, but just because they don't know, and you can help us all out? What are some things that people might say to someone who's struggling with this that might not be appropriate or kind? Well, I hate the word infertile because hmm. infertile seems like that's it. There's no hope. You're done. You are infertile. Now, why? while it might be a medical term, it is not a term that you should use to women. I mean, I think it's just struggling with infertility is, you know, more of the right. But I mean, I think oh, that's a good question. I think too, just not I mean, everybody has an idea. Everybody, you know, when people say, well, you should just adopt or mm-hmm. you're going to adopt and, and then you're going to get, get pregnant. pregnant, like all those things. Yeah, those are just Oh, those are just not true. And and I think, you know, there's so much, mm, even people, even just the promise of like, you will get pregnant one day. It's like, well, really? You don't know that. Right. Exactly. I hope I do. Mm -hmm. And I would love for you to believe with me and to hold my hands up, my arms up when I can't hold them up myself. But you don't, you're not God. So you don't really know if I will eventually get pregnant or not. And so those things are I think those are hard, too, because people that say them, and we've probably all been guilty of doing that, man, I, I've probably put my foot in my mouth so many times until I actually, you know, am on the other side of the situation. But I think people are like, yeah. I just want to encourage you. And the best thing I can say is like, oh, totally. I have a cousin. And as soon as she adopts, she got pregnant, you know? And so that is oh, a, yes. that's a story, stories. you know, and that happened. <laughs> um, but it's not the reality. And so I think that whenever we're trying to encourage someone, unless it is like, truth that we can stand on yeah. to be truth, then yeah. you might not want to yeah. say it. Yeah. Yeah. It's well, it's well-meaning, but so well-meaning. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, well, when thank you and your dogs, I loved hearing your little peppers back there <laughs> talking to us. No, Bye. no worries. Real life. Hashtag real life. Um, <laughs> thanks for coming on today and just talking about thank you so your much. struggle. I'm so proud of you for sharing it. I'm so proud of you for loving women in the midst of it. So that's a special thing to be able to do. Thanks. So thank okay. you. I loved Wynn's words of wisdom for all of us women, whether we are walking this road or we have friends that are. If you want more information about the Carrie Camp, I'm going to have all that on my show notes. Go to jamieivy.com. Next up is my friend Diane Cotton, who's the mom to three beautiful children between the ages of 28 and 24. Diane and her husband live here in Austin, and they both work at the Austin Stone Community Church. I am a huge fan of this woman, and when you listen to the wisdom that she just poured out for you and I, I think you're going to be her fan as well. If you're a mama whose kids have all left the nest, this is for you. This will encourage you. And if you are a mama that is diligently mothering little ones, you're going to be inspired as much as I was. Hey, Diane, I am so glad that you are here with me. Diane is a friend of mine and just a wonderful all-around person that we get to serve at our church together. And so, Diane, welcome to the happy hour. Well, thank you, Jamie. I'm really glad to be on the happy hour with you. So much fun. Okay, so Diane and her husband, Larry, y'all have three children. Tell us about your kids real quick. Okay, we have three kids, yes. Um, They are grown. We have twin boys, 
uh, Kobe and Corey, who are 28. And then I have a daughter who is 24. And um, my sons live in Dallas. And my daughter lives here in Austin with us. Okay. So or, you, yeah, not here, with us. Yeah, but, but in, in the same city. Yeah. So you have no kids at home anymore. You've been a mom for 28 years. Um, go back to like that first. After Catherine was gone, like that first time that you and Larry are like, we're alone here. How has, how is that motherhood? How was that transition? Yeah, I think, you know, you look, you know, it's coming. And that senior year is the hardest because you know, it's all these last things. You're doing this for the last time mm-hmm. and this for the last time. And there's a lot of and just anxiety about that. But when the time comes, um, <clears throat> I think you are, you realize that all, that your marriage, how important your marriage is, mm-hmm. and how um, all the time you've spent in your marriage uh, building that, you can't really do that when they leave. It's important that you do it while your children are home. Um, it's really easy to put your children first and kind of build your life around your kids. Um, and then when they're gone, you realize, you know, a lot of your identity was caught up in your children. Mm. And so I think just the real realization of how important your marriage is and then the realization that your identity doesn't come from your children. It comes from Jesus who never leaves and never changes. Um, so those are two of the things that I really faced when the last one left. That's really good. And I'm, I always am like <clears throat> thinking about that and doing that. I'm I'm 10 years out from being an empty nester, and Aaron and I always joke that those might be the best days of our life. Uh, <laughs> we love our kids dearly, but you know what I mean. Yes. Um, but what does it look like to parent um, 28-year-old boys, one about to be married soon, and then a 24-year-old daughter who have their careers, they have their life, they have their thing? Did you anticipate mothering um, looking – how did you in- – I don't even know what – kind of thing I want to know about that but it's just like when, when you think about mothering adult children is it different than you thought it would be is it the same what does it feel like to mother children that are grown and don't really need you that much anymore yeah I think um, that as a parent you go through different stages with your children when they're little you're kind of in the command stage you're just telling them exactly what to do and Then as they get older, you're allowing them more freedom to make their own decisions and you're trying to take them from complete dependence on you to to independence. And so uh, the last stage is probably one of the hardest because it's when you have to let go and you really become kind of a consultant to them. Um, You've spent your whole life uh, mothering them and being over them and making sure they're safe and and all those things um, and making wise decisions and when you send them off you really have to let them go and that's that's definitely been the hardest um, stage for me but it's so awesome to see them to go out as Mm -hmm. independent adults and so as a mother and a parent you're really your your role is to be um, a consultant to say hey let me know how I can help you let me know how I can help. Mm-hmm. I'm available. I'm not going to, I can't tell you what to do anymore, but I'm, I'm always available. And um, it's one of the great things about having a good relationship with your children. They still call us. They still, um, we're still good friends. And so we want to help them in any way we can. That's but, awesome. That- you guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. Well, it's spring and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power and build towards your summer you. I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear uh, rock, if you want to go back to the 80s. If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. 
here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music, just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. When I think about everything you're saying, I think um, uh, I'm going to guess that most of my listeners are probably um, younger than you are and still have kids at home. Mm -hmm. So when you're talking to me who, you know, I'm six years away from my first one leaving, 10 years from the last one. I mean, those those years go quickly. What's an advice that you would give to me as a mom that's not where you are yet, but I'm going to be there in 10 years? I think it's uh, really important for you to begin to ask God, how do you want to use my life um, for you? And we spend so much of our time pouring into our children. And like I said, we can just, they can become our whole world. And just knowing, looking ahead that they're going to be leaving, that is the role that you have right now. And it is, it is your most important role. But someday they will be leaving. And you don't want them to leave. And then you go, whoa, I don't even know who I am mm-hmm. anymore. I don't, I don't know um, how God has gifted me or how He wants to use me. And so I would say begin, begin to just be asking God, how, what does He want to do with your life? Uh, how does He want to use you, even as their home? Because you want them to see that you're being used for Him, that your life is, first of all, God's, mm-hmm. and, um, and that it's, you know, and then your marriage and then your children, but not that your whole world revolves around them. That's good. How is mothering older kids um, different than you thought it was going to be? I think it's interesting how they do still call us and look to us, um, and they still need us um, in a different way, but they need that relationship. We're like that, kind of like that anchor, and -hmm. they come back to us, and then they go back out. And, um, I didn't anticipate that. I, you know, when they leave, you just feel like, oh, they're gone. Yeah. I'll never, I'll never see them again. And it hasn't been like that. It's been such a joy to watch them walk with Jesus and to walk, watch them, um, learn and grow and see God working in their life. And also that we get to be a part of that still. Well, I'm, we're, us Ivies are big fans of the cotton. So we value, um, Anything you say, I'm taking big time notes. So, <laughs> Diane, I really appreciate you talking about motherhood with me. And because it's my show and I get to do whatever I want to do, I want you to tell everyone um, the great – you have three kids that are doing amazing things um, in their worlds and in their talents um, and affecting people around them. Just tell everyone what your kids are doing real quick. Okay. My sons, Kobe and Corey, um, are part of the Dude Perfect um team. They just uh, have have a YouTube channel and they uh, just began a TV show and they are doing what they did as children. They love <laughs> <laughs> to come up with games and that was their, their best thing and I get to see God use them uh, in the way that he's made them. It's just so fun to see God use your children mm. uh, in the ways that you even knew they were when yeah. they were and then my daughter, um, Catherine, has a business called Marry Me in Spring, and she is an illustrator. And when she was young, she would draw on napkins and church bulletins, and everywhere we were, she would be drawing. And just to see God use that gift that He gave her as a young child, see Him use that, um, is so awesome to see them grow up and become what God has called them to be, even as a young as a young child. I love that. I have no idea why, but I'm crying. <laughs> like all you're doing is talking about the amazing thing your kids are doing, but it's made me sit here and think like, man, one day I'm going to look back and see like the gifts that God's given my kids. And yeah, I don't know why I'm crying. <laughs> well, it's amazing. Uh, it is one of the greatest joys to see God shape your children and then use them. 
I mean, what I mean, it says there's no greater yeah. joy than to see your children walking in the truth. And it is the greatest joy. Yeah. It's the greatest joy of our lives. And they are our most important disciples. And your children are your most precious disciples. And every minute that you pour into their lives um, is worth it. Well, Diane, thank you for sharing your wisdom with us. Thank you for being steps in front of some of us. And there's people that are listening that are just nodding along. They're in the same phase as you. And so thanks for just opening up your heart and sharing your wisdom and your advice. And um, happy Mother's Day to you. Well, thank you, Jamie. I've loved being a part of your show. I could literally listen to Diane talk all day long. And you heard that I got emotional thinking about the day when my kids are on their own and loving God and what that might feel like. Diane is such an encourager to women and is someone that I can willingly look to for all kinds of great advice and mothering. All right, guys, before we get to our next two moms, I want to thank our another sponsor for our show, and that's Prep Dish. Prep Dish is a healthy subscription-based meal planning service. So every week, you're going to receive an email that contains a grocery shopping list plus instructions for prepping your meals ahead of time. So you head to the grocery store, you buy everything on your list, and then you come home and you spend about two to three hours prepping all of your meals. And then, guys, you have meals ready for the rest of the week. I cannot even tell you what a blessing this is to mamas, that the answer for what's to dinner is already in your fridge. Allison, the chef over at Prep Dish, she is offering all listeners of the happy hour a special rate of $4 for the first month. That's a dollar per weekly meal plan. Go to prepdish.com slash happy hour and use the code happy hour for this great deal from Prep Dish. Next up is my friend Alicia Gordon. Alicia and I met last year when we both traveled to Uganda together with Soul Hope. Alicia is a single mom to her daughter Ashley and they live in the Atlanta area. Alicia has a passion for seeing single moms thrive and she's out to change the narrative of how the world looks at single moms. Alicia, thanks for joining me on the happy hour. Of course, Jamie. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad. Alicia and I met last year. Um, we both got on a plane and flew across the world to Uganda together. Yes, we did. Fun time. Was that your first time to anywhere in the continent of Africa? It was. My Mine very too. First. Man, that was fun. It was. And then we Shout out up, to Soul Hope. There you go. We went with Soul Hope, and it was a lot of fun. And that's when I met you, and that's when I thought, I really like this person, and I want to continue know you. And so I've just loved following your stuff. But what I asked you to come on today is because you are a single mom. I am. And how old, tell us a little bit just about like what you do, how long you've been a mom, that kind of stuff. Well, um, I am a mom to a 11 year old daughter named Ashley. Um, she is a ball of fun and really creative and super sweet. And, um, so we've been living this life out together. I am a writer and blogger who writes about faith and culture and the intersections between those things. And I'm also a religious educator and preacher and pop culture enthusiast and all those fun things. So, you know, she and I live this life out together. I love all of those things that you are. All, I, I'm going to, I need some of those in my life. <laughs> yes. I'm definitely not a pop culture person, but okay. So you and Ashley have been living this life for 11 years. What has been the hardest thing about single mom for you, single motherhood? You know, the hardest thing about single motherhood, surprisingly enough, is um, single motherhood really magnifies the things that I think average everyday moms experience. I think we all experience loneliness and, you know, inadequacies and, you know, all those types of very normal things. But I think what's been most challenging about being a single mom is that the singleness in the process really magnifies those things. And you really have to be super conscious and super aware about, um, you know, the ways in which you see the world and how your life experiences and choices have, you know, created this life for you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's one thing to have a desire for companionship or have a partner. Um, and, you know, you're at the end of the day and you really want to just turn to somebody and just be like, oh, my gosh, you know, this is what happened to my day. Um, it's a whole nother thing to not have that there and having to really turn inward and find, you know, other types of ways to really process your day and process your feelings. Um, and so, you know, I found that different methods of spiritual care and journaling have been really helpful um, for that. But that's one of the yeah. you know, challenges. It just exasperates and really magnifies the the very normal everyday feelings that women and moms have. That's a really good point. To, when I like when you say it just makes what 
other women, other moms in different scenarios are dealing with, it just makes it a little bit larger. You know, mm-hmm. it just makes it a little bit bigger. What is one of the misconceptions that people think about single moms that you kind of want to say, hey, hold up. Like, that's not really true. Right. So I talk about this all the time and it's something I'm going to um, write about on my blog, maybe over this series of a few posts about changing the narrative of single motherhood. You know, the narrative often is that there's this woe is me. I'm poor and I'm pitiful. I may have made, you know, bad decisions or all these things. That is often the narrative that is painted, especially in society and the media. But what that narrative does is um, it does two things. One, it er- erases the story and narrative of women who are single moms by choice because they've adopted mm-hmm. or, you know, because this is my body and I can choose to have a baby if I damn well please. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or women who are widows or women whose husband or boyfriends or lovers died mm-hmm. in military or, you know, whatever, or, you know, serving their country. And so the narrative of single motherhood is often painted in this very negative Um, light that leaves out the variations of stories of single motherhood. So that's one thing. But I think the other thing that um, the misconception that people have about single moms is that beyond the fact that, you know, this narrative of being poor and pitiful, single moms are resourceful and tenacious. And they are, you know, we are the best managers of time and money and resources. If you want the United States to balance a budget, put a single mom (laughs) in office, you know what I mean? Because that is, a, that is a particular gift and skill that single parents have. And I always relate this to um, the widow in First Kings 4. You know, she is the woman who husband died. Her husband owed these debts and she had these two sons. And the debt collectors were saying, like, if you don't pay this debt, we're going to take your sons into slavery to pay the debt off. This prophet Elijah comes and tells her to do what? To collect all these canisters from your neighbors and from your friends and from people in community. The Lord blessed the canisters. She had the oil to sell in order to pay off her debt. And not only that, she had plenty of oil left over. And so here it is, this single mom, Mm, right, mm -hmm. who was in this precarious situation who didn't have enough money, didn't have enough resources, but because of people and communities seeing that her need and meeting her need, she was able to be resourceful and create a life for herself that protected her and her children. And so I think God um, is trying to reframe and recalibrate these stories and the ways in which we understand single motherhood to really reframe this narrative and that single moms are not always as woe as me like mm-hmm. I think for decision. These are women who are resourceful. These are women who have a heart for God. And God is in turn, you know, really calling for a community to um, help position single moms to do what it is that God has called them to do. You know, that's that's really, really good. And it brings me to another question, another thought is that what does it look like for the church, the people of God to come around a single mom and help her out? What are some ways that you would encourage um, people who not might not necessarily be single moms? They could be married with no kids or, you know, college students or whoever it is in the church, how can we come beside someone who's a single mom um, and help them out? What does that look like? I think uh, it looks like um, being intentional about one, creating relationships with single moms that are not codependent. I think oftentimes my experiences have been with people want to meet, you know, whatever immediate needs that Ashley and I may have. Um, but, you know, oftentimes single moms are thinking and, and dreaming bigger than just the moment, bigger than just making sure that the rent is paid or that the lights are on mm. or that there's food on the table. And so creating relationships with single moms that allow her to dream, that allow her to say, these are what my dreams are. This is how I envision my life to be. And there are churches and ministries and families who have the, the means to help her um, see those dreams become a reality because that's what happened in the in the first Kings four mm-hmm. yeah that community said listen there is somebody who there's an immediate need but if we go above and beyond to help meet this need she can sustain herself and create an enterprise for herself so that she no longer has to rely on community in these ways and so I think the church um, and community could do be really intentional about not only hearing the immediate needs of single moms, but really allowing her and creating space for her and her children to dream in ways so that we can take the resources that we have to create um, sustainable, long-term ways for her to live this out, life out and live the way life God has called her to live it out. I'm guessing that this has played true in your life. Um, I, you know, you've been a single mom for 11 years to yeah. Ashley and you've 
put yourself through school and provided for her and worked. And how has that played out in your life? The whole thing we just talked about, the church stepping up. How have you seen that true for you? The church, even the church that I go to now, the reason that I am able to preach and to lead worship and to, you know, use my gifts as a religious educator and write faith based curriculums, all that kind of stuff was the direct result of being in a church that says you have these giftings and we're going to allow you to use these giftings Mm -hmm. and we are going to honor the gift by hiring you and contracting you out. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, And paying people for their gifts. And so. Um, I'm thankful for my church here in Atlanta that allowed and created the space for me to really work through those gifts and earn um, money doing that. And that was the same for my community and my family, my immediate family. If there was an opportunity for me to travel and use my gifts, my mom or my brother or my friends would step up and, you know, watch Ashley, my community at Emory when I was, you know, working on my divinity degree, you know, if I had class, there were people who allowed her to sit in their office, you know, I mean, so, you know, there's this common thread Mm -hmm. of my quote unquote successes are the direct result of community saying, we see that you have a gift and that we see that there are immediate needs. But if we dig beyond the immediate needs, we can really create space for you to have the life that you feel like, um, you and Ashley should have. And so I attribute every success and every ability to do things that many single moms just don't have the Mm -hmm. resources or community to do a direct result of having a church and a family and an immediate community that created the space for that. That's wonderful. And so I want to hear like if you're someone's listening, they're a single mom or I actually want you to give us two encouragements. And so because I love, love, love the way that you are reframing um, what a single mom looks like, because I do think so many times our first thought of a single mom is just a woman who made a bad choice, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, And so here she is with a single mom. But there are so many women who are single moms, not by any bad choice, you know, by circumstances or by life or by choice. And so I want two encouragements from you. Number one, I want you to encourage that single mom that's listening. And number two, I want you to encourage those of us that know women who are parenting solo. And those two encouragements I want to hear from you. So to the single mom who's listening, um, My number one encouragement for you is to never, ever feel guilty for pursuing your dreams, goals and taking care of yourself. Mm -hmm. I think that moms in general have this guilt. You know, anytime we want to take five minutes to drink a glass of wine and not talk to our kids, you know, there's often this guilt that comes with that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that guilt is often exasperated because people have the expectation that you are supposed to be and do all things for your kids as a single mom. Mm -hmm. And I want to encourage you that it is okay to take care of yourself. It Mm. is okay to pursue your dreams. It is okay to tell your children, no, not right now, because mom is working on this dream. Mm -hmm. And don't make anybody, anybody, even family members, make you feel bad for making those decisions. Because anybody who knows anything about family dynamics, when mama is happy, when mama is satisfied, (laughs) when mama is, you know, living a life that she feels like she is meant to live, children thrive, families Mm. thrive. Mm -hmm. so don't let anybody tell you that you can't be the person you see in your head because you're a single mom. You can do that. And you can be that. And you do not have to feel bad mm. for these things. That's good. For the people who um, know single moms <clears throat> and are in community with single moms, I encourage you to, one, be intentional about reframing and re-understanding the story of that single mom. You know, whether she became a single mom out of the issue of sexual assault Mm. or because she loved the wrong man or because she is a widow, whatever the story is, be intentional about finding out the threads of her story and finding out how her threads connect to the stories in your own life. Um, I think the connection between stories, even when the dynamics are different, are what makes us create long lasting relationships that can be helpful to um, not only challenging our own preconceived notions about what it means to be a single mom, but helping change the social dynamics of how we understand single motherhood, the ways in which we vote, the ways in which we understand theology and church community. There are many you know, churches and social groups who say that single moms should not be able to stand into the pool, stand in the pulpit and preach because of that sin that they're carrying around. Mm-hmm. Um, and so 
we can begin to challenge and encourage people to think about single motherhood differently by creating intentional relationships through the, through the stories and the commonalities of our stories. And so I just encourage people um, to begin to rethink about what it means to be a single mom, rethink about, about why women choose to enter into this life as single parents um, and do whatever it is that you can to provide the resources to not only meet immediate needs, but to help dreams come true. Thank you, Alicia. That was so good about us. I love the like finding the common ties that bring you together, because I think that can be true of all kinds of relationships that mm-hmm. you're looking to pursue is to really look and say, hey, how, what do we have in common? What are some of the common ties that we have? And what is our what is our faith? Maybe that's a common tie. And so thank you for coming on here and talking about single moms. Of course, Jamie, anytime, anytime. All right. Thanks, Alicia. Alicia has a great way of bringing out the realness in any situation. And I loved our conversation about something that sometimes people do not know how to address is how to help single moms. She encouraged me to look around and see who around me is a single mom and how can I help them. Last but certainly not least is my friend Aki Slockers. Aki is a mom to two kids and two years ago her son Kai lost his battle with cancer and passed away. Aki shares with me today about what Mother's Day feels like for her now, plus ways that those of us who aren't enduring this pain and suffering can encourage someone that might be. Okay, Aki, thank you for coming with me for this Mother's Day episode. I'm glad you're on the happy hour. Thanks for having me. Um, Aki, I met you through my friend Amanda Brown, who has been on the show. And I think you and Amanda worked together. Is that how y'all met? That is. And then I went to junior high and high school with her husband. So it's kind of crazy. Small world. Very small world. I did not know that. Yes. Um, (laughs) And I think when I first heard her talk about you was probably when she started telling us about her friend whose son um, was in the hospital um, with cancer diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And so today we're talking obviously about motherhood. And uh, I wanted to bring you on because I wanted to talk about what motherhood looks like for you in this unexpected, never thought life would turn out like this um, because it was a little over two years ago that your son Kai passed away. And so I guess my first question is just, we just give our listeners just a little snapshot into what your family walked through two years ago and the diagnosis that your son had. Sure. Um, So it was in the winter, probably December of, um, 2013. And I had my daughter, Maya, she was about four months old almost. And I'm a really terrible newborn mother. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Like get me through the first year and I'll be okay or I'll be better. Mm -hmm. And so I'm trying to juggle like figuring out how to have two kids. And and Kai started having these weird symptoms. He would kind of throw up from time to time. And um, anyways, everyone had the stomach virus. So it's like, it's so hard to tell with little kids. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, eventually it came to the point, um, which just really in January, so this is like middle December was the first time he ever showed a symptom. Um, when our, we went to the doctor and, you know, they were eventually like, you know what, let's go ahead and get some, some tests done. And, um, so we got blood tests, great, no problems there. And then, um, started complaining of headaches, you know, and that's kind of weird for a little kid, but, um, so we went and tried to have an MRI in February and my little boy is a very stubborn fighter and um, he kind of <laughs> just fought off the medication that was supposed mm-hmm. to sedate him mm-hmm. like, you know, a two-year-old does. And so we rescheduled it again and we were trying a different way and he also fought that off. I remember him saying, Kai, no sleep, Kai, no sleep. Aww. And I was like, oh my gosh, you kiddo. So that whole month of February was kind of a loss. And we finally ended up going and getting um, an MRI at the Children's Hospital where they put you completely under. You know, mm-hmm. they don't like to do that yeah. first. And so we're kind of a sigh of relief to finally get it done. And, you know, and then they call us back and we see our pediatrician walk in the room who is such a kind man. Um, he's the one who came in to tell us they found a brain tumor. Mm-hmm. And so that was March 6th. And you know, I even thinking about it now, I think I didn't understand <laughs> what was going on. I mean, mm-hmm. no one, you don't, I don't even really think about brain cancer as, as terrible as that is, but I mean, that's the truth. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I remember I had to ask them for a breast pump because I was totally nursing my daughter and didn't expect her to be, <laughs> yeah. to be there all day. And then they were, you know, I'm like, 
we're in the midst of all this craziness. And I'm like, excuse me, but I really need this. And I need I'm sure to relieve my boobies. Yeah. You know, but that's, you know, being a mom. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, um, they admitted us that night and, um, we were supposed to wait till then thought that was a Friday or Thursday. And we we're supposed to wait till the Monday to have the surgery, but he took a turn for the worse. And we did a, they did a brain surgery that Saturday, um, they were able to remove a good portion of it, but he had tumors all the way down his spine and mm. they called it like sugar coating on the brain. So basically that was just a ton, like, it looked like someone had sprinkled powdered sugar all over his brain, but it was all tumors. Mm. Um, so, and I don't know if this is too much detail so you, I can stop, but, um, after that we were in the hospital, of course, after a major brain surgery and we were waiting for the diagnosis. So a week later, um, they told us, and it was something called atypical teratoid rhabdoid tumor, mm-hmm. ATRT. It's really rare. About 25 kids get it in the U.S. per year. They were, it's super oh, wow. new. They, they don't know a lot about it, and it's super aggressive. Mm-hmm. Um, it hits little kids under the age of three often. Um, and the prognosis is so bad that they just asked us if we wanted to go home. And I said, sure. Like, yes, absolutely. And I remember I mean, asking, this is in with in like – a week after that MRI? Yes. So okay. they, cause they have to send it off to confirm it. They thought it was, yeah. So they have to send it off to a lab, I guess, to con- do all these different tests to make sure. Um, so, so we went home and it was re- just really hard. Um, it was so good to be home though. I mean, you mm-hmm. can just tell it was, everyone just felt a little better being at home, but it's also hard cause you're having to manage all these medications that taste terrible. Mm. Um, your kids in pain. He couldn't really sleep very well. Mm. Uh, but we did have one beautiful afternoon one day and he saw his little knit friends outside and he, he wouldn't, didn't want to do anything, but he saw him and he's like, I want to go, mm-hmm. I want to go ride bikes. And so for this brief moment, it was just, he was himself and it was awesome. Mm. Um, and then the next day we, he, we just, a good friend of mine who's a nurse, she was over and she's like, I just don't think he looks right. And so called called the called the doctor and kind of said what was going on and they said yep come on in and he ended up having another emergency surgery mm. um so that was really just like eight or nine days after mm-hmm. we had that the first one mm-hmm. and then so we were admitted back to the hospital that surgery didn't really do we realized we needed more interventions he had a third brain surgery and then he died that friday march 21st so in a span of he of us finding it, he died two weeks later. Um, with three surgeries and three surgeries, yeah. Yeah, I imagine. Um, I'll just make the you know most obvious statement of the next ten minutes is that these are the <laughs> hardest two weeks probably you've ever walked through. Yeah, it's for sure. Um, it you know in different ways. I guess there's been days afterwards that mm-hmm. have been hard, but I think the harder part is like in those days afterwards, I know that my son isn't hurting anymore. Mm, But in those mm -hmm. days during those two weeks, you know, you're a mom, your, your whole drive is to make it better and to take away the pain. And when you can't do that for your kid, I mean, it's just, it rips you apart and you're just like, please God, give this to me. Like take it away Mm. from him. Give it to me. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't, I mean, no one deserves this, but it's just when it's your own child, he's just like, you will do everything, you know, yeah. like, rip off my arm, do whatever, right. like, you mm-hmm. know, so. You know, Aki, a lot of us go into um, motherhood and this is like a fear of ours, obviously. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that you'd thought about it before. Um, but tell me, like, just like verbalize, what is it actually when you look down and, and, and granted, you didn't have very much time to try mm-hmm. to figure this out. I mean, unfortunately you know, two weeks isn't a long time, but now you're on the flip side. Um, and Kai's been in heaven for two years. When you look back and you think, man, like, I just would have never thought this is what my motherhood would look like. How does that like verbally, how do you even express that? Like, how do you even address the fact that you just, this is just not what you planned? I guess one thing to say is I really um, was one of those moms who didn't know what I was getting into with mm-hmm. motherhood. Um, my, um, so maybe that was a good thing. But um, I think my parents joked that I would be have a lots of dogs but no kids. Yeah. Um, so I didn't really know. But this obviously was not part of it, especially after having our, se- our second child. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Kai was like the sweetest big brother. He hated us after Maya was born. But, oh, my gosh, he loved his baby sister. Mm-hmm. He with all of his heart, he gave him her all of his most favorite toys when she came home. I mean, just the heart on this kid. But I think though, it 
just made me realize that like, this isn't about me. Mm. And these, these kids are a gift and a blessing that I have so many days that I don't know to be entrusted with, you know, not that I'm doing all of it, but God's equipping me. That's Mm -hmm. for sure. That's going back to me knowing nothing about having kids, Mm -hmm. any any moms or women who think they can't do it. If I can do it, anyone can do it. Right. Um, but, um, just makes you realize every day is a gift and, um, how much the promise of what to come is just, just like the rock that we can hang on to every Mm. day. Mm. Um, and like when we mess up, you know, and don't know what the right thing to do with our kids or, we're so angry and we're like, I know, like, especially, you know, I get these feelings where I'm like, I should not be angry at Maya because mm. I get to love her and hold her today. And I don't get to do that with Kai, you know, but I do, I'm human. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's, it's a stronger reminder of just grace and rest and just how much we need God yeah. to help us every day. And, yeah. um, but that's all like, but I see that as a hopeful thing, you know, mm. it's like, oh my gosh, we have we can, we can mm-hmm. totally rest. Like I don't get to be Kai's mom here on earth, but like God totally took care of him. And that's mm-hmm. all I ever wanted to do. And he took care of him yeah. better than I could have ever done here on earth. And mm-hmm. like, that's, that's huge. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know that may have gone. <laughs> no, that that's, that's really good. You know, I think a lot of times um, when people are interacting with someone that has gone through something that they haven't and they don't understand. Um, for example, I, I talked to a woman about struggling with infertility, you know, when, and we talked about how some women just don't know what to say. Mm-hmm. How have, what's your encouragement to anyone that's listening that is walking alongside someone who has lost a child? Um, what is something that we can do for moms that are walking through that, that journey that, that you had, that you went through with Kai and that other people might go through, you know, I mean, who knows people are listening. This could be part of their story and we just don't know yet, you know? So what's your encouragement to not necessarily, and I want to ask you later about the mom walking through this, but to those walking beside her, what's your encouragement to them? I think don't be afraid to ask about how they're doing and don't be afraid to say that child's name Mm. because the biggest thing I think I found from talking to other moms too is you know as time goes by it's it's we feel that it's only us that say our kids names Mm. or remember or think about our kids names and or our kids and um and like it can make even though it hurts of course because you miss them Mm -hmm. especially as time goes on from like the date of when they passed like when someone tells me, oh my gosh, I, my kid told me, you know, was said something about Kai today, or you know what I thought about, I mm. saw this today and I thought about Kai, like it just, it makes me so happy Yeah. Um, because they are our kids. Just, you know, you ask about anybody, if you know someone who has kids and you ask about their kids and how they're doing, even if like, even, especially like if they are sick or they're, you know, or they're struggling with behavioral issues or anything, like I think we all need support. Like every single one of us has some sort of challenge or hardship. I mean, we're not, this life isn't promised to be Mm -hmm. smooth sailing, you know, we're promised struggle. And so each of us has that. And so just with any other struggle that, you know, someone might go through, don't be afraid to ask that mom, Hey, how are you doing today? Mm. I I do. I I remember your child or I Mm -hmm. thought about your child and you know what that mom might just say, thank you and not be able to say more than that or not be wanting to talk. And that's okay. Yeah. I will tell you that even if they don't say another word, the fact that you asked makes a huge difference. I mean, it's that whole aspect of community and support. Mm-hmm. I've heard that. I've talked to a couple of people who have lost loved ones, whether that be a spouse or a child. And they've said the exact same thing that you said is that they just want to feel as though other people remember them. And so when you ask about them or when you say something about them, it really brings joy to them. And so I love that encouragement. So, there might be someone listening that is, you know, at Dell Children's or whatever the mm-hmm. local children's hospital might be, and, and they're walking through this. Um, what's your encouragement for them? That God won't fail. Hmm. And it may not turn out how you hope it to be. I remember, um, you know, every day we were just praying for that miracle, you know, like, please just let's get the MRI. Mm-hmm. And it's just this beautiful, clean picture of a beautiful spine, a beautiful brain. And you know, just believe in and believe in. And then there comes a point where you have, to, we had to realize this isn't mm-hmm. going to happen. You know, of course, like anything could happen, but like 
in the world that we live in, we need to, to acknowledge because of what we realized would be not much time left. Mm-hmm. And I remember my husband saying, we kept praying and praying for this miracle. And we realized we already had our miracle and it was our son. Mm-hmm. And the true miracle that happened is that we know that Kai is healed. Mm-hmm. And so God didn't fail. And my, I remember my friend, when he was born, gave me this thing that said, God keeps his promises. And I remember looking at it earlier in the journey with him when he got sick. And I was in my head to me, that was like miracle for healing. You know, you just mm-hmm. want, you want, we're human. We want these things. And I remember seeing it afterwards and I was like, yes, I know he kept his promise mm. because I know Kai is in heaven and there's nothing I could have done better here on this earth or that he would have enjoyed here better on this earth than that. Of course, of course, of course, I want, I wish I could have had the opportunity to raise him, mm. but it doesn't make those moments any less hard or less painful, but it can be the only, like it can, but it's what can sustain you, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. that God won't fail, even if this doesn't turn out how you hope it to be, yeah. or if it does turn out how you hope it to be, God's not failing. That his promises are still true, no matter if your son, you know, lives to be 80 or two. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, Mother's Day is coming up and, um, is Mother's Day harder for you now, or is it just another day? Um, it, I think I have to admit it's harder. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to think about it, honestly, sometimes as just another day. But I also, when I thought about that, then I was like, well, wait. I had the honor and privilege to be, I have the honor and privilege to be Kai and Maya's mom. Mm-hmm. So I should if anything, take this day to say thank you mm. and just be grateful that I had that opportunity, even if it didn't turn out the way <laughs> or look the way, you know, that you would have hoped. Maybe I would have. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So um, it is hard. But I think, again, like with anyone, every day can be hard for someone for certain reasons. And but I think particularly for those who have lost children, this can be particularly hard because you remember who you're a mom to and yeah. grieves that you can't celebrate maybe with, with them. Yeah. 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 Well, what is a misconception that people might have about um, a mom who has lost a child um, that you kind of would like to kind of debunk and say, this is not really what you might think it is. Um, I think one is kind of what I was t- talking about earlier is that like, it would be terrible to say the kid's name. I, mm. I think that's a big one. Um, it's, I think it's, I think it's the complete opposite. Um, And I think maybe the other thing is, and I don't, I don't want this to come across like, I don't know what's the right word. Um, Like, Oh, we should be pitied or something. Mm -hmm. I don't mean that, but, but I think like some people, and, and I haven't run into a lot of people like this, but I have heard other moms who have, who they're told to just get over it. Mm. And I don't think in any loss, no one is ever going to get over a loss. And I, and I think and I think every type of loss is different, but I feel like, and again, this is where I'm not trying to say like, oh, I'm special, but there's something about losing a child mm-hmm. where it's just a little different. Mm-hmm. And so with any loss, there's ups and downs and there's these secondary losses, but like, you know, there's milestones, but there's all these things you don't expect as well. You know, like, oh, my son should, have be, should be starting kindergarten in the fall. Mm-hmm. And you see these other milestones that kids are going through. And so yeah. there are things that are just sharper. And so... I think I've heard some moms say people have felt like, okay, well, you, you know, you had your grief now. It's you been long have, enough, right? Yeah, it's been long enough. And mm-hmm. yes, you're going to be sad, but you shouldn't be as heartbroken as those things. But grief is this really, I mean, it's, uh, it's this tumultuous wave. And mm-hmm. um, again, just like life, there's storms come and things pull, just hurt a lot worse. And, um, and I think some people have, maybe after a couple of years or either feel like they can't talk about it anymore or they should be, hmm. they should be okay with it where that's still their heart and yeah. they're always going to carry that child with them. Yeah. Um, I think that's good for us that are listening to that have not walked through these shoes is to also realize that, to also realize that, you know, in the fall when Kai, his, that's his class that would be going to kindergarten, you know, that, that, that affects you still. And it's not something that you just like, like it's not something you're not going to realize, you know, I think with every year and every milestone, you're going to think about that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it may not be something that you and Sean, your husband ever, you know, that grief, like you said, it could be, it's lifelong, you know, just the other day, Aaron, and I had the conversation and we asked each other, what do you think would be harder losing a spouse or a child? And we both said child. So we both answered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Aki, I am so thankful that you came on and I wish this wasn't just a mini interview. I wish this was a whole long hour <laughs> interview. <laughs> Um, because I know that, that what you've said, even in these past 15 minutes is going to be encouraging to so many women, um, women that are walking through this road. Um, these words will be in people's ears when this storm hits their life and they never knew it was coming. And so thank you for your encouragement and thank you for being willing to talk about, you know, just the hardest season that your family's been through. Of course. Thank you again for having me. You're welcome. And happy early Mother's Day as well (laughs) um, to you. (laughs) Um, Thank you so much. Guys, I know that this show was a little bit different than the usual episode, but I really hope that you enjoyed it as much as I did. There's so much value in all the perspectives presented today. And even that was just a snapshot of all the moms out there who work so hard every day. And regardless of what kind of relationship or connection you have to the word mom, I hope that you got something out of the show today. Uh, Being a mom is one of my greatest blessings, and I have a fabulous mom and mother-in-law, so I want to wish both of them a happy Mother's Day. Mom, I love you. Happy Mother's Day. Nancy, I love you. Happy Mother's Day. Thanks for listening to the show today. I hope that you enjoyed meeting my friends, Wynn and Diane and Aki and Alicia and their stories. And anything we talked about is going to be over in the show notes, jamieivy.com. Guys, I hope you have a great weekend. I hope you have a great week. Enjoy your girlfriends and enjoy a happy hour. I will see you next week with my friend Amy from the Bobby Bones Show. See you guys next week.